A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musam. The United States says South Sudan's former Deputy President Rahik Machar should not return to his former position in its government. Special Envoy Donald Booth told a U.S. House of Representatives hearing that Machar should not return given the continuing instability in the country. Political rivalry between South Sudanese President Sovakir and his former deputy Rahik Machar has sparked a civil war that has often followed ethnic lines. The pair signed a shaky peace deal a year ago, but fighting continues, including attacks on South Sudanese and foreign civilians. Machar has fled the country. Meanwhile, the United Nations says more than 100 opposition fighters from South Sudan have crossed the border into Congo in extremely bad shape. The fighters have been evacuated to health facilities for medical treatment. UN spokesperson Stefan Dujaric says they are consulting with the governments of Congo and South Sudan. Dujaric says supporters of opposition leader Rahik Machar were found in the area around Garamba near the south Sudan border evacuated by the UN peacekeeping mission in Congo. Amnesty International has called on Zimbabwean authorities to respect the latest court ruling and to allow public demonstrations. This after High Court overturned a police ban on anti-government protests in the Harare city centre. Police have cracked down on recent protests calling for political reforms and for President Robert Mugabe to step down. Over the weekend, the veteran leader warned judges against opposition marches to go ahead, describing such permission as reckless. Lawyer and leader of the People's Democratic Party, who challenged the police order in diabetes, has welcomed the latest ruling. The court has set it judicial independence. So in that respect, uh, we're very proud that the court has recognized uh, the power it has in terms of the constitution. Namely that this is a constitutional democracy and that any conduct or act will be subject to the scrutiny uh, by the courts as is required by the constitution. And more importantly, that the courts will uh, adjudicate matters without fear and favor. South Africa's ruling ANC Youth League has written an open letter to Higher Education Minister Bled in Zimande demanding that he urgently implement a zero-fee increase for tertiary institutions. Recent student protests have been marred by the torching of buildings and cars at the University of KwaZulu-Natal and disruptions of the free education inquiry in Cape Town this week. Matlatsi Gallens reports. In the latest war of words between the Youth League and Nzimande, the league says any fee increment will not be acceptable and should not even be considered or talked about, demanding that Nzimande implements the ANC-NEC resolution for a no-fee increment for next year. The league also says free education for the poor is an ANC policy and is not up for debate, but should be urgently implemented. They also want Nzimande to reduce meetings with vice-chancellors and spend more time with students. It threatens not to tolerate what it calls tortoise velocity on these issues. And finally, the UN Humanitarian Agency, OCHA, has expressed concern over the recent displacement of some 100,000 people in Syria's Hama province, fighting between government forces and non-state armed groups forced people to flee in large numbers between the 28th of August and the 5th of September. On Sunday, food, water, sanitation and other items were delivered to about 15,000 people in a convoy organized by the UN and its humanitarian partners. Recapping the top stories, the United States says South Sudan's former Deputy President Rahim Machar should not return to his former position in the country. South Africa's ruling ANC Youth League has written a letter to the Higher Education Minister demanding a zero-fee increase for tertiary institutions and the UN Humanitarian Agency is concerned over the recent displacement of thousands of people in Syria's Hama province.
tuned into African Dialogue here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Zikona Miso. Remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. You're also welcome to interact with us via Twitter. That is at Channel Africa. One is our handle there or Facebook. You can you can also find us on Facebook. We do have a group uh, there on Facebook. Just search for Channel Africa. You'll definitely be able to find us. Or you can simply SMS your views to plus two seven eight two three. 325905 that's plus 27823325905 and if you're not uh, too savvy on these uh, social networks you can also email us that is to info at channelafrica.co.za the United Nations uh, International Day of Democracy is annually held on September 15th to raise public awareness about democracy. Now, many people and organizations worldwide, including government agencies and non-government organizations, hold various initiatives to promote democracy on the International Day of Democracy. Now, events and activities include discussions, conferences, as well as press conferences involving keynote speakers, often those who are leaders or educators heavily involved in supporting and endorsing democratic governments and communities. But have we really realized the fruits of democracy? Well, are those countries that say that uh, democratic really uh, practice democracy fully fledged? Well, that is the question that we're asking today, whether we are really realizing the fruits of what democracy is all about. We are joined on the line, as always, I'm not by myself, I'm joined by Dr. Augustine Mugolowondo. He is the director for the Institute of of Democracy for Africa, and he joins us now on the line. Also um, on the line, we've got Martin Chungongo, who is the Secretary General for the Interparliamentary Union. Good morning, gentlemen, and thank you for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, just Shungo, yeah. one correction, that I'm the Africa Regional Representative for the Netherlands Institute for Multi-Party Democracy. Well, thank you so much, sir, and apologies uh, for that um, uh, glitch there. But thank you so much for making the time to join us today. Uh, for the benefit of our listener, those of you who'd like to get in on the conversation, don't forget to send us those tweets and we'll be able to direct them to uh, the gentlemen who are joining us in discussion today. Now, I'm going to ask um, uh, Dr. Augustine, I'm going to start with you. Um, have we really um, been able to celebrate the way that we want to observe it um, in previous years. Dr. Augustine? Well, I think the importance of this particular day cannot be underestimated. Uh, If you look at the history where Africa is coming from, uh, it's a history that is characterized by long years of dictatorships, military regimes, and conflicts, and all kinds of of, of, of operations. And, uh, I mean, today, 20 years down the road, uh, to have a day during which we can actually commemorate, uh, you can call it second liberation, so to speak, uh, is something that I think is very, very commendable because it reminds us of where we are coming from. Mm-hmm. It acknowledges uh, uh, the achievements we've made, but it is also a day where we can remind ourselves in terms of the challenges and the obstacles that we are yet to actually address. Mm-hmm. So in that particular context, I think it's a very important day, and um, I think um, there's so much to celebrate, but there's so much to actually look back to and, and think through in terms of what we can still do. Mr. Chungongo, do you agree with Dr. Augustine's sentiments? Yes, I, I agree with him. I agree with uh, Augustine because uh, uh, I have always said that uh, uh, democracy is a uh, work in progress and uh, it is always under assault. And today uh, that is uh, more topical than before, uh, looking at what is happening. But I also am optimistic because a lot of progress, as Augustine has said, a lot of progress has been made uh, uh, on the path towards democracy in Africa, and that cannot be over, uh, underestimated. So what is important now is to try to see how we can strengthen that democracy, how we can remain alert and uh, be very, uh, very vigilant. We cannot afford to be very complacent. Mm. Gentlemen, we're going to go to a short break. It's 13 minutes after 11 o'clock Central African time. This is Africa Midday. And for the benefit of our listeners, just before we go on the, that break, we'd love for you to also get in on the conversation by simply tweeting us at Channel Africa 1. Text us at plus 27823325905. Or you can always send us an email that is to info at channelafrica.co.za. We're joined on the line by Martin Chugong, Ibrahim Fakhi, as well as Dr. To Augustine Mogolowondo, and uh, they are getting into conversation with us around International Day of Democracy, which is, of course, um, annually held on the 15th of September to raise public awareness about democracy. So you can get to thinking what democracy means for you 
and your part of the continent and really whether you as a person as um, Mr. Fakir was highlighting about ordinary citizens having the right to exercise um, their rights without there being any infringement on their parts so you can also join in on the conversation in that end. It's almost 15 minutes um, after 11 o'clock Central African time. My name is Zikon Amiso standing in for Benjamin Mushadama. We're going to a short break. We will be back after this. would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical 1 or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park Johannesburg 2006 Republic of South Africa We look forward to hearing from you Channel Africa The voice of the African Renaissance tuned into African Dialogue. My name is Zikona Miso and today we're getting into conversation around International Day of Democracy and we'd love to get an idea of exactly what that means for you. We are of course getting into conversation with uh, Mr. Martin Chugong, um, Ibrahim Fakir, Manager for Electoral Institute for Sustainability of Democracy on the African Continent and as well as Dr. Augustine Mogolawondo. They are getting into conversation with us around this particular uh, topic. Let me try and get um, Dr. Mogolawondo back into the conversation. Dr. Magolawondo, thank you for joining us once again. Um, uh, touching on the, the, this question that I was um, asking uh, Mr. Faki there around the accountability and responsibility by politicians uh, to actually who represent the masses. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the RPU is calling for a major stepping up of efforts in terms of including you know, the masses when it comes to um, political processes and institutions including Parliament specifically. Now, what I was asking Mr. Faki is in your view, has there been a lapse in terms of that accountability and responsibility by politicians? Um, Dr. Mogolawondo? Well, I think uh, regarding the accountability and the responsibility of the politicians, uh, certainly this is uh, something that um, remains one of the significant challenges that uh, we, we face. But uh, let, let's have a proper balance. We see in a number of countries things going on very well. Uh, we see politicians uh, being able to be held to, to account. Uh, we see politicians accepting uh, results of elections. And uh, I think if you look at, uh, for instance, the, uh, the examples of Ghana, the examples of Nigeria, you know, the examples of Kenya, uh, you, you see that, um, oh, you know, there, there is uh, some progress there. Of course, uh, there is the other side of the story. Uh, we, we, we are pretty much aware of the challenges in Burundi. We are also aware of some challenges that we have uh, in, in other parts of, of, the, of the continent. Uh, what, in my view, it means is that, uh, yes, we do have uh, the democratic constitutional frameworks in place in mm-hmm. almost all the countries uh, in Africa, and uh, we do have the basic rules and regulations that should be supportive of democracy, but I think where we still have an issue is really to have a supportive political culture, call it a democratic culture, that can further strengthen, you know, uh, the, 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 the kind of democratic practices, practices that we, we aspire to have. So democracy being a way of life 
remains mm. um, a, a challenge that we, we, we continue to work on. Mm. Now, um, uh, Mr. Chugongo, let's talk about um, the, the call by the IPU um, uh, to step up efforts in terms of public involvement. Um, and, uh, I mean, this then speaks to um, what is uh, dubbed a citizen-driven democracy. What are your thoughts around that, and uh, how could that um, assist in terms of fast-tracking some of the um, problematic areas when it comes to the understanding of um, a full sense of democracy? Mr. Chugongo? Yes. Uh, the thing is, uh, you know, we, we start from the point of view that uh, if uh, the citizens were involved uh, in uh, decision-making, they were involved in the institutions of governance uh, at all levels, then uh, we will not be seeing what we are seeing in certain countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will not be seeing uh, people going into the streets to protest or to claim their rights. So uh, we should try to uh, fix the problem upstream and make sure that uh, the citizens are properly engaged. And in any case, when we are looking at it from the parliamentary perspective, we're saying that parliaments have to be accessible, they have to be accountable, they have to be uh, transparent. And if the citizen is not engaged, then that transparency, that accountability, that accessibility are not there. So it is very important to engage them. And there is a major challenge also that we want to identify and try to fix, and that is, uh, the fact that the youth are becoming very disenchanted with the political process in many countries mm. because they feel they feel that the uh, the politicians are not accountable and not responsive to their interests, and so they're looking to other means of expression. And this is a major challenge for democracy. We want to bring the youth into the mainstream of politics, and that is why we are saying they have to be represented in parliament, they have to be engaged in a dialogue so that they can contribute ideas that are uh, commensurate with uh, their aspirations and interests in society. Mm. But Dr. Mogolawondo, on that note of, um, you know, including particularly um, the youngsters in the political processes, where do we even begin, I mean, to get to a point where we can actually start moving forward in terms of having that um, inclusivity? Well, I think first and foremost to... The beginning should be the acknowledgement, what my colleague is talking about, to acknowledge actually that, uh, first and foremost, Africa as a whole, uh, the youth is the largest population. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, the most important thing to acknowledge. Because starting with that acknowledgement, it becomes almost natural that um, we, we basically have to find ways and means of ensuring that there is active involvement of the youth. Moving on to the actual measures, uh, I think uh, the IPU is talking this is assuring that the youth are represented in the parliament. Uh, but uh, there is another way also of ensuring um, we get more and more actively involved. This is also to ensure that if, you know, political awareness is mainstreamed, for instance, in, in all uh, educational institutions, yes? secondary education, university education institutions. But the level of political awareness and political activism, responsible political, political activism, mm. is actually uh, entrenched as part and parcel of uh, the development of the young people. I think the other aspect is, uh, is also to ensure that uh, the youth are economically empowered mm-hmm. because uh, the la- one of the big challenges that the youth face is poverty. And the poverty uh, actually uh, makes the youth to be vulnerable in, very, in, in many ways, whereby they also tend to be used uh, wrongly by the political actors. So ensuring that uh, the youth uh, are provided with some economic activities that help them uh, to, 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 to be independent and help them to also uh, be economically productive uh, in this particular way, uh, we also contribute uh, to, to ensuring that the youth uh, get more involved in politics uh, responsibly. Mm-hmm. I think the other aspect is the, is, is the whole aspect of education. I mean, uh, to ensure that the youth access education is extremely key. And for me, the youth here includes not just uh, uh, young men, but also young women, uh, because that's very, very important. I mean, the, the girl child of today is uh, exposed to so many other challenges that if you don't provide the, the opportunities in terms of education, uh, you also make them very vulnerable. So even if you open up spaces in Parliament, but they are not prepared and empowered uh, rightly, those spaces cannot be taken up. So I think this is also why uh, my own organization, the Netherlands Institute for Multiparty Democracy, we work with political parties, but in working with political parties, we emphasize also the active involvement of the youth uh, so that they are part and parcel of the political process. Mm.
Mm. Well, if you agree with the Dr. Mogolonda, send us those thoughts at Channel Africa One. Tweet us or text us rather at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five. Send us an, an email to info at channelafrica.co.za. You are tuned into African Dialogue. My name is Zikona Miso, and we're getting into conversation around um, this International Day of Democracy, which is annually observed on the fifteenth of September. Now, gentlemen, on that note of just inclusivity and um, getting those young people involved and just having uh, uh, listened to Dr. Mogolowondo and some of the various ways that we can use to sort of a fast track that inclusivity. Mr. Chugong, um, Chungongo, um, the African continent has um, has been on the spotlight almost uh, for a, a, a problem which is seen as um, our leaders who constantly try and cling to power um, uh, where um, once, once a leader's uh, term would have ended but you would see the leader then now uh, continuing to pursue um, uh, the, 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 the top position in the country. Now this is a problem that we've seen uh, trending on the African continent specifically. Where How do we begin to get to a point where that doesn't happen because according to um, uh, democracy that is not supposed to be happening in very countries. Mr. Chugongo? Yeah, I, I think I can only deplore strongly uh, this attempt uh, for uh, African leaders to uh, stay in power by all means. And uh, once uh, you have uh, constitutional arrangements put in place, I think that everybody has to uh, comply with those arrangements. So if there's going to be any change, it has to be by the will of the people. You know, you have to consult the people. You cannot just sit down and say you're going to amend the Constitution and go ahead and do that and stay in power indefinitely. Uh, uh, in any case, uh, uh, it is also a source of disincentive for the youth because then they don't see any openings if the old uh, generation of politicians stay in power forever. So uh, there should be the opening up of uh, political space they should be leaders in Africa have to be listening to the people to uh, say, listen, well, when you have agreed to uh, some constitutional arrangements, then you have to comply with those and not change in midway. It's like moving the, the goalposts uh, in the middle of the march. So you know, mm-hmm. we, I, I cannot uh, mm-hmm. uh, condemn this very strongly mm-hmm. enough. Uh, so uh, that is uh, the point that I, I want to make regarding mm-hmm. Dr. Mokolowondo, what then becomes the role of bodies such as the African Union? You know, when we see this um, issue of um, uh, presidents or heads of state, you know, keeping on pushing the goalpost in terms of their terms in office, um, how does then uh, bodies like the African Union, what becomes their role in terms of mediating in that regard? Well, I think before they even come to mediating, the African Union has even a much bigger role. Uh, the African Union set the standards. Uh, it has the protocols, it has the charters, and it has in it, for itself the, the framework which does, should be supportive of democratic practices, including not supporting, for instance, democratically. So in my view, that's the important task of the African Union is to ensure that its protocols, its charters, we are talking about the African Charter, for instance, for democratic elections and governance. These particular protocols are domesticated. They are internalized. They become part and parcel of member states' uh, constitutional frameworks. They become part and parcel of the basic rules of the game so that even an ordinary person can hold his or her, or her leader accountable in such a way that you can also ensure the African Union uh, charters are, are, are actually, you know, binding. So well, I'm going to ask you to just, we'll continue that thought. So we just need to go to a break for now, but we'll definitely continue that thought um, after this short break here on African Dialogue. Stay with us. All right. Dear listener, would you like to be featured on our website? Send us interesting pictures such as those of people, events, or anything you think is unique and interesting. Be part of our website and share those memorable moments with Channel Africa and the rest of the world. Don't miss this opportunity. Take a picture now, tomorrow, and every day. Pictures can be sent to info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. You can view your pictures on www www.channelafrica.co.za That's www.channelafrica.co.za And also on our Facebook page. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
31 minutes after 11 o'clock Central African time. This is African Dialogue here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Zikona Miso. I'm joined on the line by Dr. Augustine Mogolowondo as well as Ms. Martin Chogongo here. And we're getting into conversation around the International Day of Democracy, which is, of course, observed on the 15th of September annually. You're more than welcome to share your thoughts after hearing some of the sentiments around this particular issue. Tweet us at Channel Africa 1. Text us at plus 27 or send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za. Dr. Mogolowondo, before we went on that break, you were just sharing your thoughts around um, the role of the African Union regarding um, this issue that plagues the continent of uh, heads of states who want to almost cling to power and keep pushing the goalposts in terms of their terms in office. I'm going to allow you to um, finish that thought, uh, Dr. Mogolowondo. Yeah, so uh, of course, in addition to ensuring that uh, the the protocols uh, that support democracy that uh, the, the African Union has adopted are domesticated, it is also important that the African Union is very consistent in the messages it sends. Because uh, when you condemn one incident of a democratic practice and then you let another one go, basically this kind of contradictions don't help the African Union to have the reputation and the credibility that. Uh, uh, is expected of this of 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 this important uh, you know uh, board that we have in Africa. Mm-hmm. So I think this is another aspect that um, the African Union can do. Mm-hmm. But of course, the whole process of mediation when things go wrong is another aspect, and I think that's the 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 the, the, the other road that the African Union can take up. So again, internalizing what has been done already and ensuring that it's practiced and followed up in in member countries consistency in the in, in, in the messages that are being sent and uh, and then ensuring uh, basically that uh, you know the African Union plays its role in mediation what are some of the important tactics that we could expect from the AU? Mm. Well, another issue that um, is also highlighted when it comes to some of the issues that are plaguing the continent when it comes to democracy is that of uh, media freedom. Now, um, media has been under fire in various governments across the continent wherein um, the governments are um, reportedly seeking to oppress media freedom. Now, what does one make of this? And Mr. Chugong, I'm going to pose this question um, to you and I'll also give um, Dr. Mokolawondo an opportunity to to respond, but isn't media freedom also a feature of democracy? It is. It is, uh, I would say, a pillar of democracy. Mm. Uh, democracy is all about uh, freedom of expression, people being able to uh, express their views, I would say, in a constructive and uh, 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 responsible manner, which means that you have to have some guidelines, but those guidelines don't have to be restricted. So mm-hmm. we can only deplore any attempts in uh, the world to uh, muzzle the press by any means. So uh, we uh, say that, uh, you know, freedom of expression, uh, the freedom of the media to operate uh, without any restriction, so to speak, is a a cornerstone of any democracy. And uh, if you don't want to, if you want democracy, then you have to promote a plurality of opinions. You have to promote a diversity of opinions, and the media uh, can bring this uh, to the forefront. But there's the other thing about the media. Mm. The media have this educational role. They are there to educate the public. And Augustine just mentioned the uh, need for a culture of democracy to be ingrained, incorporated in Africa, and the media can play that role of uh, spreading the values and ideals of uh, democracy among the people. This is very crucial because we see in many countries uh, people don't have a clear understanding of what democracy is all about, what it brings to the table for them. So the media can play this role. We cannot underestimate the importance and role of the media. Mm. Dr. Magolawondo, your thoughts around that? Well, I can't agree more. I think uh, my colleague has underlined very important aspects. And maybe one uh, other thing to add is uh, for the media itself to also um, be very much aware of the power and strength they hold. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, we are not just talking about any other media. We are talking about an independent media. We are talking about a professional media. And in my view, therefore, just as the media is very important in, in, in strengthening democracy, it is also important that the media itself is democratized. 
Because what you see in some other parts uh, of Africa is that it's, you have a media that is controlled, uh, the media that is not free, the media that actually is, is pursuing a particular agenda of a particular you know, uh, sector of society. And in that case, of course, it doesn't help very much. So because it has such a very important role in information uh, awareness and in educating and uh, basically in empowering and providing people with choices, the focus is about choices, but uh, the media must play that very balanced role uh, to ensure that uh, people make informed choices, not just one-sided choices. Mm-hmm. So for me, the role of the media cannot be overemphasized, but the media must be the kind of media that is actually in itself democratic, transparent, independent, and very professional. Mm. Now, on that note of the media, social media per se and other new technologies are really increasingly being used by politicians as well as their constituents alike to communicate with each other and on politics. Now, do you believe, uh, Mr. Chugongo, that we've reached um, that kind of threshold where we can actually um, use social media um, politically, so to speak, and uh, to also um, promote democracy? You know, I I would say that... uh uh, politicians and uh, uh, others in society today would uh, ignore or disregard social media at their own risk and peril. Mm. It is something that has come to stay with us. And what is important is to be able to harness the potential uh, that uh, this new media uh, uh, represent and then use this to, uh, uh, you know, mainstream into the uh, political process. Uh, to good use. Uh, we're not saying that uh, the, uh, the social media should be uh, misused. And that, again, I go back to the issue of guidelines. Uh, mm. we, we think that uh, you need guidelines, but uh, again, I stress that guidelines do not mean uh, restrictions. Uh, the Internet is out there, and what you also have to do is to, uh, and I, I, I am looking at uh, the parliamentarians and parliaments, they have to make sure that there is uh, uh, equality or uh, yes, equality, equity of access to the social media, to the web in general, the uh, internet uh, uh, in general, so that everyone in society can contribute to uh, the uh, uh, political process uh, and express their views. And we go back to the theme of uh, the democracy day this year, and that of uh, that is. Uh, uh, public participation for democracy, and uh, we think that uh, the social media would be a very useful tool for the public to engage uh, usefully with uh, the political process. Mm. Now, uh, Mr. Dr. Mokolowando, how can we then, um, you know, um, adding to um, um, Mr. Chugongo's thoughts there, how can we make sure that, you know, people are using um, social networks and not misusing them and, you know, having those guidelines that he speaks of, but also not making sure that we're not gagging or restricting uh, people? You see, that's a, that's a delicate balance that uh, <laughs> uh, states have to, to strike. Mm. There's a very fine line, you know, between the regulating... And, and, and actually restricting. Uh, in my view, the most important thing is ensure the responsibility of citizens. I mean, citizens themselves must be the, the ones who are responsible. And uh, it, again, for me, uh, it's not so much for the state to, to regulate entirely. It's more for how I can be of social media. So, again, Incarcating citizen responsibilities in the use of social media for me is much more important than emphasizing the regulations by the state. Uh, because I think uh, in many the state and over regulate, basically it leads itself are not very much. We're having a bit of a problem with that line, Dr. Mokolowondo, um, but thank you for your thoughts around that. It is almost time for us to wrap up our conversation, though, um, and I'm just going to give uh, both gentlemen an opportunity to give us your closing remarks around uh, this particular International Day of Democracy. And I'm going to ask, I mean, how can, um, as much as this International Day of Democracy is being observed and it is the initiative of the United Nations, how does the ordinary man in the street also participate in terms of observing this day and really, you know, get into that introspection of understanding what democracy means um, for the the ordinary man on the street. Uh, Mr. Chugongo, just your closing remarks around that. Yeah, uh, thank you very much. Let me me point out that uh, for the IEU, the International Day of Democracy is uh, a wonderful day. Mm. We actually 
you may not know, we actually uh, promoted the creation of this day because uh, that was when, uh, in 1997, we uh, adopted the Universal Declaration on Democracy. Mm. That was the first attempt internationally to codify the uh, component ingredients of democracy. So uh, we, we think that this day is very important for uh, 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 citizen engagement with um, uh, the political process. It mm. is uh, a wonderful opinion, at least once a year, for uh, the uh, political uh, authorities to engage with the public, to gauge the mood of the public, uh, to see where democracy has uh, uh, reached, uh, what successes have been uh, achieved and what challenges are there left. And when it comes to Parliament, we have always encouraged them to organize, to open up to the citizens, mm-hmm. uh, citizens to organize open days in Parliament, to organize uh, chat talks and uh, uh, all manners of uh, encounters that uh, would promote uh, engagement with the citizens. And I want to uh, point out that in a couple of hours, I, uh, I would be pleased uh, to host a group of uh, school children here in Geneva at mm-hmm. IPU headquarters. Uh, we will engage with uh, parliamentarians from across the world mm. to discuss issues of democracy. And this is part of what we are trying to do to open up democracy and so that it, it does not remain the private preserve of some influential elite in society, but that it is something that uh, is uh, prevalent across the board in society. So we hope that uh, there will be ongoing um, uh, engagement between uh, the citizens and the political processes across the world, not only in some regions of the world. Well, thank you so much for a thought around that and all the best with those engagements with the youngsters. I know that um, they can be very passionate about this particular uh, subject because, of course, it is something that affects all of us. Politics affects everybody and, of course, um, it is important to exercise those rights that we do gain uh, from democracy. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here on the show on African Dialogue. We really do appreciate your time and um, I'm sure I'll be posing some, I'll be sending you some of the questions that will come through from our listeners who um, would have otherwise missed the show and would have checked it out on our podcast. But thank you so much for making the time to join us today. We appreciate it. Uh, Thank you very much for having us on this program. Well, that was uh, Dr. Augustine Mogolowondo joining us here on the line on African Dialogue, as well as Mr. Martin Chugongo, Secretary General for the Interparliamentary Union. And of course, earlier on, we had uh, Ibrahim Faki, who is the manager of Editorial Institute for the Electoral Institute, rather, for Sustainability of Democracy in Africa. And unfortunately, we lost him a bit earlier on due to some technical glitches, but um, we were glad to have him for the short time that we did. If you still want to um, send us your thoughts around this particular topic, do so at Channel Africa One on Twitter. Text us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or you can simply text us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five. My name is Zikon Amiso. This is African Dialogue. We're going to short break. When we come back, it will be time for our economic update. Welcome back to African Dialogue. It's time now for our economic update.
Good morning, I'm Wissani Matebula with your Economics News. Uh, VW South Africa will begin assembling motor vehicles in Kenya following the signing of an agreement between the company and the Kenyan government in Nairobi on Wednesday. Sarah Kimani has more. The company will use the Kenya vehicle manufacturers in the outskirts of the capital, Nairobi, to assemble its vehicles beginning with the Volkswagen Vivo. The first fully Kenya-assembled Vivo is expected to roll out of the plant by December this year. The German automaker used to operate in Kenya in the 1960s and until 1977. Volkswagen South Africa CEO Thomas Schaffer says his company is excited to be back in the East African nation. Egypt is in advanced talks with uh, Saudi Arabia to secure a new deposit worth 3 to 3 billion US dollars as part of uh, about 6 billion US dollars in bilateral financing required to seal an IMF loan. Bosa quoted Amir Al-Ghari as saying that negotiations with Saudi Arabia were due to be completed in the next few weeks. It was not clear if Al-Ghari was uh, expecting Egypt to agree on the disbursement of a two billion US dollars deposit agreed with Saudi Arabia in April or if the country was seeking new funding. 
Nigeria's Bureau of Statistics has stated that the country's trade deficit narrowed in the second quarter as the value of exports surged by 63% after a devaluation of the Naira. This is even as the federal government said it plans to raise Naira-denominated bonds at an auction on September 14, 2016. The Debt Management Office, DMO, also disclosed that it will raise additional funds from debt maturing in 2021, 2026 and 2036 using the Dutch auction system. Financial indicators now, the US dollar trading at 1399, South African rands at 10.44, Botswana Pula and 10.09, Zambian Kwacha also trading at 0.74 to the British pound and 0.88 against the euro. Commodities gold is at $1,345, platinum $1,088 per fine ounce, and the spot price of Brent crude oil is at $48.75 per barrel. That's your economics news right now. I'm back in an hour's time with another update. And at the back of this is Fiki Lilingwati with your sports update. Now, sports update this hour. Uganda, who are in Group A together with Kenya, Burundi and Zanzibar, will kick off their Sikafa campaign on the 11th of September against Kenya. QPR ladies defender John Seninde and USA-based striker Lucky Odandeka have been named in Uganda's 25-player squad for Sikafa tournament. The two are in the Crested Crane squad released by Uganda's head coach Majida Nandanda. The two have already arrived in Uganda and are in camp with the rest of the squad. Conspicuously missing from the squad is Denmark-based Natasha Shirazi and rising star Sandra Nabueteme, who recently joined Southwestern Oklahoma State University, USA, on a talent scholarship. And in Athletics Confederation of African Athletics, CAA, President Hamad Kalakaba Malbon has called for a review of the rules governing the transfer of allegiance to other countries. He says it is worrisome to see Nigeria and other African countries losing their best athletes to other countries. Malbon says what's happening in international competition is troubling everyone. Rules on nationality changes must be reviewed. Recently, discovered Nigerian junior athlete represented Bahrain at the IAAF World Junior in Poland and Rio 2016 Olympics. There have been a host of East African middle distance athletes competing for other countries, many in the Gulf, but also Turkey and even the United States. The most recent standout example of an African achieving success under a different flag is Kenyan Ruth Jebed with gold in the women's 3,000-meter steeple chase and then went on to set a new world record at the Diamond League meet in Paris. France's IAAF Council member Bernard Amsalem has been charged with investigating the trade in athletes. Ethiopian Almaz Ayana will aim to round off a sensational year when she ambitiously targets the world record in the women's 5,000 meter at the season-ending Diamond League meet in Brussels on Friday. Ayana sliced nearly 14 seconds off the previous world 10,000-meter best set by Wang Junjia in 1993 during the era of notorious Chinese coach Ma Junren when she won Olympic gold in 29 minutes, 17.45 seconds at last month's Rio Games. The reigning 5,000-meter world champion, however, had to be happy with bronze in that event as Vivian Cheriot foiled her attempt for the double and Helen Obiri took silver in a Kenyan 1-2. And Wade, Olympic world champion and 400-meter world record holder Wade Fanikerk returned to a hero's welcome in South Africa as he arrived for the first time on home soil since breaking Michael Johnson's 17-year-old record at the Rio Olympics a few weeks ago. On arrival at OR Dambo International Airport from Europe, he was greeted with a new Audi R8 loaned to him for a year. From there, he made a two-hour appearance at his main title sponsor, 
IT systems offices. Fanikerk, whose life has changed off the track since the exploits of Rio, has got all of this covered. To me, I feel um, my best way of, of improving my image is to keep on doing what I'm doing. So at this moment, I spoke to my agent as well and I told him, um, for the next two months, I'm open for this event and that event. But as soon as the 19th comes of October, I'm back to, I'm back to training, I'm back to, to, to doing what I need to do. The only, um, I think, relations that I would consider is sponsorship relations, relations and so on, and, 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 and obviously awards and whichever else. But um, once, once my, 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 my race period is done, I'm, I'm totally focused on, on, on back to training because obviously I feel I've got so much more that I can um, improve on and so much more that I can achieve in athletics and, and that's what I have to do within this next 10 years or so, however long I last as an athlete and, and, and that's the main focus. Um, everything else out of that, I'd, I'd show it the respect that it deserves and, and, and give it the attention that it needs but at the end of the day I'm going to put my, myself first whenever I make a decision. In tennis news, Simona Halep did something not one else was able to do against Serena Williams at the U.S. Open last night, but still could not stop the world number one from advancing to the semifinals of the year's final Grand Slam. The scrappy fifth-seeded Romanian managed to take the first break points from Williams during the Flushing Meadows fortnight and the only set surrendered by the top seed, but at the end of the day, the result was the same. 34-year-old American walking off court with a 6-2, 4-6, and 6-3 win. The victory also kept Williams on course for a record 7th U.S. Open crown, which would be her 23rd Grand Slam. That's a title moving her past the Vigraf for the most in the Open era and one shy of the great Margaret Court at the top of the all-time list with 24. Meanwhile, Serena Williams will be wary of another semi-final slip-up when she takes to the Arthur S. Stadium Concord to face 10th seed Karolina Pliskova for a sport in the U.S. Open final. Speaking as the guest of honor at this week's Vodacom Origins of Golf tournament at Sishen Golf Club, legendary golfer and commentator Dennis Hutchison says he's not too concerned about South Africa's lack of major success since any else won the country's last major in the 2012 Open. I mean, we've got fantastic players and, um, a lot, you know, a lot of talent, but we've got the, the top boys, Swatzel and Lou Eustace and Brandon Grace. And just behind them, there are a host of other young guys coming up, Xander Lombard and Hedy uh, and Porteous, all these boys with a chance. I think Trevor Fisher Jr., I think, has got the game that could do great things if, if they just get the right, the right break here or there. That's just sport news this hour.